never stop, never stop, no. We will never stop, unstoppable. We will never stop, never stop, no. We will never stop, unstoppable. Welcome, White Men Warriors, to the Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. When you lead yourself first, others will line up to follow. Automatic, I don't panic. Boy, I love that song by New Politics, Unstoppable. Hey, everybody, I am Graham, Chaplain Captain Graham Bailey. Uh, I am joined by the incomparable 509th Bomb Wing Master Resiliency Trainer, Tech Sergeant Kim Desaloose, and our very special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, the 509th Bomb Wing Operations Group Commander, Colonel Justin Grieve, goes by Vapor Sir. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Good morning. Welcome. Thanks. Uh, so we are uh, we are here today talking about comprehensive airman fitness. We're talking about uh, those things in our life that we do that help us be more resilient. The title of the podcast is Practicing the Pillars. Uh, so we're talking about the things that we do to practice resilience and the things that uh, people experience and encounter in life that really end up making them stronger, the things that make them unstoppable. So, sir, uh, we know that you've got a pretty incredible story. Uh, and we are very excited to hear your story about uh, your unstoppableness. <laughs> so uh, sir, let's just jump into it. Okay. Um, I'm going to take you guys back to uh, February of 2008, um, the 23rd of February to be exact. It's two days after my wife's birthday, um, the 21st. We were uh, deployed to Guam, Anderson Air Force Base. And uh, we had taken three jets out there for a what was then called the combined or continuous bomber presence. Um, now we transitioned to, yeah, CVP. CVP. CVP we've we've now it. transitioned to BTFs, right? The yeah. Bomber Task Force. Um, but this was when we would go and sit for long durations. We've, we've determined that's not healthy for our airplanes. Um, and this is part of that story. Um, but we had been out there for about four months, uh, actually five. We'd been, we were supposed to be there for four. We had extended for a month due to uh, the unit that was replacing us, having some conflicts with Red Flag and some other things. Uh, we were all ready to go home, but this was going to be our RTB sorties, return to base sorties after being there for about five months, and um, all of our jets were ready to go. Um, we rolled out. Um, on the 21st, we were actually supposed to come home, um, but there was a giant snowstorm back here at Whiteman, right? So we rolled 24 hours and uh, tried it again. We came back the next day, beautiful day in Guam, of course, but overnight it had rained a lot. Uh, it rains every day in Guam, but it had really rained overnight, like big tropical storm. Um, we had left our jets outside, uh, which was not uncommon, um, but all the jets had been left outside because we were getting ready to come back. Uh, we got into the aircraft, cranked it up, and um, we have these uh, things on the aircraft called PTUs, port transducer units, right? And that's how we keep our airplanes stealth. Most aircraft have a, a pitot-static system, which is like kind of a, if you see our T-38 aircraft, our trainer aircraft has a big boom that sticks out the yeah. nose that catches the airspeed. Um, that's part of the pitot-static, it's a pitot part of the static system, right? Um, we don't have that on a stealth airplane, as you can imagine. It's not very stealthy. So right. they uh, got some really smart people to put a bunch of these port transducer units on the airplane uh, and use computer code to figure out what a PTU or a, uh, a pitot-static system would be doing to give us airspeed and all the indications that we need inside the aircraft. Um, there's 24 of these, 12 on the top, 12 on the bottom. While it had rained, water had gotten inside of these things. If you can imagine kind of like the top of a salt shaker, right, um, the way that looks with those little holes in it, that's about what these things look like, right? So little teeny amounts of water had gotten inside of those things. 
Uh, when we cranked up the airplane, the airplane was a little bit uh, confused, if you will, about where it was in the world. Huh. Um, and when we uh, were going through our system checks, uh, we got what, what was asked for. It was an air data cal, an air data calibration. Um, one of our maintenance troops came out and uh, gave the jet a calibration. My analogy that I use for this is if you can imagine the old scale at your grandmother's house, the analog scale, not the digital one, uh, right? With the dial on with it. With the big dial yeah. that swings wildly, and you can kind of change your it's weight. It's always wrong when I get it. Yeah, over. exactly. Um, he basically took one of those scales, put a bag of flour on it, and re-zeroed the scale, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so that's where the jet is now. The jet's happy. It knows where it is in the world. We're ready to go. Um, we taxi out. Uh, we were number two um, of the uh, of the formation. Uh, the lead aircraft takes off. When it does, we turn on a PTU heater. Um, as you can imagine, those very sensitive things would need to be heated in flight. If you fly through clouds or moisture, or if you got a bug stuck in it, it'd need to burn that out. So it burns really hot, as you can imagine as well. Uh, we turn those on. It boils the water out of the system very quickly. Um, at that point, um, you can imagine in my analogy that the bag of flour has now been removed from the scale. So that zeroed scale bag of flour off now the scale swings wildly to some yeah. other weight doesn't right. know where it's at the jet is confused again so we start rolling down the runway uh 60 seconds behind our lead um, for the takeoff and as we're doing that um, the jet begins to go through some uh, cycles it's trying to figure out what what's going on and uh, i'll leave some of this out because it gets into safety privilege and a few other things but the the generic argument or the generic explanation is um it went through a few iterations of, I'm good, no, I'm not, yes, I am, no, I'm not, yes, I am, no, I'm not, did that about four times. Out of curiosity, um, yeah. um, when all this is happening, like the, I'm good, I'm not, I'm good, I'm not, are you able to, like, do you know this at this point? Or no, you have no you idea. No this idea. Is, okay. Well, now we did, uh, we did get a glimpse uh, at one point as we're rolling down the runway, and I'll, I'll tell you about that. And you're just, you're a captain at the time, yep. relatively new B2 pilot. Right. You've been flying for how many years at that oh, point? Oh, wow. I got here in 2005. Um, so three, years. Yeah, three, three years. Three years, yeah. Three years. So, and I, it took about a takes six a, months to a year right. to get started, and then it takes about six months to, to get through training. And So, yeah, I was fairly new. Um, I was flying with a brand-new IP, um, and I was working on becoming a um, an aircraft commander in the jet, which um, for us, most of the uh, – most of the intense work that you do is in the right seat and mission commander seat where you run all the, uh, you basically run the sortie, you run the bomb runs, you do all that stuff, right? So I was sitting in the right seat this day and the, the IP was flying the aircraft in the left seat, right? Um, which is uh, which is kind of important because that's why I had the opportunity, as you'll as you'll hear in the story, to kind of sit and watch everything, yeah. um, which I think ended up kind of saving our lives. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're, we're rolling down the runway. Um, we have four flight control computers. The B-2 has like four of everything. We have four motors, four flight control computers. We have eight generators, four work at, th at a time, things like that. It's quad redundant, right? Um, of those four flight control inputs, um, a couple of them were correct. Um, the jet, unfortunately, took those two that were correct and was like, man, you're out to lunch and got rid of them. And then it oh. had two left over that were in conflict with one another. And our manuals tell us that it's supposed to come to a solution. It'll come to an average. It'll get you a flyable solution. Um, and that's what the I've got it, I don't got it was doing. It was, I, I've got a flyable solution, and then it would go, no, I don't, and it would deviate, right? Um, that's about as deep as we need to get on and that. You couldn't mm -hmm. feel any of that in the nope. aircraft. No, nope. it was nothing. completely, and, and we yep. actually have some logic on the aircraft that when you're weight on wheels, and that becomes an important piece here very shortly, um, when you're weight on wheels, which means the airplane is on the ground and there's these little squat switches, just like when you open your car door and the light turns on, right? It's the same kind of deal. Um, when you're weight on wheels, um, 
the airplane just displays that you're at a single, you know, one AOA angle of attack um, and everything is happy, right? And then, then the logic changes when that squat switch releases, which is what happened to us, right? So we're rolling down the runway. We did get a glimpse um, right about the point where we're supposed to decide, hey, do we stop or do we go? Uh, right around 100 knots. So we got a, a flicker of a master caution, an FCS master caution. By the time I had put punched the button, the master caution button to look at it, um, it had disappeared. And in our manuals at the time, and even today, it tells you that with a computerized system like our RB2, um, if that happens, uh, you're good to go, right? Like the airplane has resolved the problem and it has fixed it and you're good. And it, and it had for a brief moment of time in theory, right? By the time we get to the point where we're ready to rotate, lift the nose off the ground, and go weight off wheels, um, again, not getting too into it, but we were significantly slower than we should have been. There's a video. You can uh, watch it. Fascinating story how we got the video. They had just installed a uh, security system camera, um, and, a, and a security forces troop on, uh, on this day happened to be playing with the camera and seeing if he could huh. use it, and he caught the whole thing on tape, right? Wow. So um, if you watch the video, you'll see the lead the lead aircraft rolls down the runway significantly longer time than we do. Um, and, uh, and we, we were a much shorter takeoff roll, um, because we were receiving bad data and it ends up, the moral of the story is, um, bad data in, bad data out. And, right. And to cut to the chase a little bit, um, our maintainer that did our air data calibration did absolutely nothing wrong that day. He followed his tech order to the T. Um, but we found out kind of later on that, that, that ended up being a bit of a root cause, um, problem because that was where the bad data got entered into the system again he didn't enter bad data right it's just the bag of flour got taken off the scale right, right in the analogy right so um so anyway, we we're kind of all over the place but uh yeah we got a glimpse of it uh very quickly um the the pilot flying the aircraft goes hey what was that i said hey it was something with the fcs and he goes should we stop should we go i said it's gone we're cleared to go right um so we continue rolling down the runway by the time we lift off um, the airplane thinks it's minus eight AOA, which is, uh, to give you some frame of reference, right? Our pilot limits for what we can do with the aircraft are positive 13 and minus three, right? So the, the airplane thinks that we, as the pilots potentially, uh, are trying to kill it because it's, we're way beyond the limit of where the airplane is supposed to be. So when we, uh, when I call rotate as the pilot not flying in the right seat and, uh, and he lifts back on the stick, um, as soon as we go weight off wheels, that AOA switches from one to now it thinks it's minus eight. We're well beyond the limits, and it basically takes the aircraft and tries to get what it to what it thinks is level flight, right? So it's trying right. to bring the nose up to what it thinks is normal inside minus three AOA level flight flying. Um, but by doing that, of course, we're we're level on a runway. By doing that, it takes the nose and lifts it to about thirty degrees nose high. You'll see this in the video if you watch it as well. Um, significantly stalling the aircraft. And again, we're at a slower airspeed than what is being indicated to us on the displays. Um, and the airplane is, is now in a basically an unflyable configuration. So um, in my opinion, we should have probably kind of eaten it right there. Right. I think the airplane should have basically stalled and we should have nosed over into the ground and, and we you know, would have been part of the giant fireball. Um, but we got fortunate because the B-2 is a giant flying wing and wings create lift and create lift, ground yeah. effect, right? So when the when the plane stalled, it was basically not flying. Uh, there's a funny fact that the computer, because they, the airplane thought it was we were trying to kill it, right? Um, the computer had actually turned off the flight control inputs. So the, the stick that the pilot had in his hand actually wasn't doing anything. Doing anything. We found out later in the investigation. Wow, which crazy. Is pretty, so we were, we were literally along for the ride at that point. Um, but again, giant flying wing, ground effect, 
plane comes over, uh, cushions itself actually lifts itself back up into the air for another go at this, right? Um, again, with no input from so the pilot. So you were able to take off, you're in the air, and the stick, like, you're actually not controlling the aircraft at all. Correct. We didn't know that You at didn't the time, know that, but... But we're not doing You're anything. doing nothing. We're along for the ride. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's pretty fascinating. So, um... So, yeah, the airplane goes up. This is where uh, the story, at least from my perspective, gets fairly interesting. Everything goes into super mega slow motion for me, right? Um, as the plane goes up, it was a fairly – everything in the V2 is very smooth, right? When you fly the airplane, if you're doing it well, it's very smooth. Um, and it's it's like driving your dad's old Cadillac is the way we tell people. Like right? butter. <laughs> like butter. Yeah, like butter. Like yep. butter. So totally smooth. Um, when we lifted off, obviously, with the, uh, the nose pitching violently to 30 degrees, it was not smooth, right? Um, I have some experience being a uh, first assignment instructor pilot flying little trainer aircraft, and we would do a pretty aggressive maneuver at the end of the runway called a closed pull-up, um, which is a lot of fun, right? You get to a lot of smash, you get a lot of speed, and at the end of the runway, you yank the nose up, and you do this really cool stand the aircraft on its tail, and then and then you f- fly it around and do a landing, mm. right? So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I've done that many times, right? And that pull um, in that little trainer aircraft is exactly what this takeoff felt like, um, which is not... Not what a normal B2 takeoff feels no. like, right? So my head goes down into my lap because of the amount of G's pulling up into this 30-degree nose high position. I'm in super slow-mo. I bring my head out of my lap after I'm trying to reach for the stick because the stick should be basically back in my lap because of where we're going. Right. Um, it's not there. Um, I look out, strangely enough, out the right window. I'm in the right seat. I'm looking out the right window. And in Guam... It's very humid, very moist. You would normally get these cool, like, little wispies over the wing, like those little clouds that you see in videos or, or little curly cues off the wing. And on this day, it's just a giant cloud. Like, the whole wing is covered in a big cloud, which because we're pulling such a steep angle of attack. And I go, oh, that's not good. So then I, I turn left, and I look at our pilot, um, and he is, uh, he is full forward in his seat, leaning out with his, you know, the stick full forward, throttles full forward, um, I can see us, you know, leaning so far forward, his straps are pulling out of the seat and, uh, and we're still going up, right? So he's trying to go down and we're right. still going up. And that's my second, oh no, this isn't good, right? Um, so I, I realize, uh, something's not right, right? And, uh, and he is fighting through it. And again, in the moment, I think he is actually, you know, flying the airplane and doing what he needs to do. We stalled and, uh, and caught the cushion and we come back up. I only said two things during this whole process. And, and <laughs> I said a lot of stuff. <laughs> I said more than two things. Oh, the, man. The, the story I'm giving you now is obviously a little bit drawn out because of the slow motion, but if you watch the video, this whole thing takes about three seconds. Yeah. Um, it's really fast. But uh, uh, as we come up for the next one, I, I keyed the mic. You have to key the mic to talk to one another. I keyed the mic, and I said, hey, go TRT, um, which is our takeoff rated thrust. There's a little bit of extra oomph that – would, you know, in theory, help us in a takeoff emergency. He was already there, obviously. He, would, he had done that procedure. Um, and then I'm watching us go through. We go through about three pitches. We go up, kind of come down, catch ourselves in the ground effect, back up, stall again. It feels like he's max performing the aircraft. It feels like he's kind of doing, you know, pulling right to a light buffet or a, what would be a, you know, a max performing pool mm-hmm. to try to save us. Um, we found out later, of course, he's not doing anything. Doing anything. Um, yeah. And we go through the next the next <laughs> pull, the the third pull, and it, it uh, comes up to that, and I Somewhere in there, I keyed the mic for the second time, and I said, dude, I think we're going to have to get out of this airplane. And uh, on the third um, pitch up, uh, the airplane 
again, shake, starts shaking fairly violently, which is uncommon in the B2. And then I feel the left wing just snap off. So again, back to my trainer days, we used to teach guys how to spin aircraft, which is basically taking the aircraft up to a very high altitude, yeah. stalling it intentionally, and right. then putting yaw on the aircraft, basically mm-hmm. left or right movement. And then they would hold that, the student would hold that maneuver to get the airplane to spin, just to, to see what a spin was. That, that killed a lot of pilots back in the day mm-hmm. before we, we knew how to recover from those. And then when they would run through a recovery procedure, idle neutral aft, spinning left, needle left, stuff like that, and recover the airplane, right? Um, this, again, credit to the B-2 and the, the engineers that made it fly, right? It feels just like a normal airplane when you fly it. Um, and it, it stalled and went into this spin maneuver just like a normal airplane when you and fly the, the, the wing had snapped off. No, no, no. The, oh. Sorry. Um, bad terminology. So it felt like the gotcha. left wing had dropped, gotcha. if that makes sense. Gotcha. But yeah, no, it was still okay. definitely attached to the airplane. Okay. And you'll, <laughs> you'll, see that, you'll see that in the video. Sorry, yeah. that, that's a great clarifying question <laughs> for radio. Uh, that was really good. Um, so yeah, the, the left wing just drops. Basically, it's it's not flying anymore. So it's, it. ready to, it's ready to turn. And, and we're in my mind, we were high enough above the ground that the airplane is going to roll over. You know, we're basically going to miss the left wing on the ground, roll over and we're going to land upside down on the ground. Um, but there's no recovering the airplane. We've never, we know, we don't practice this in the B2. We don't do stall training. We don't, right. do, we definitely don't do spins. No, um, not made for that. It's right. not made for that. Exactly. And yeah. we're only a couple hundred feet above the ground, but I thought we were high enough to actually clear the wing and, and, and the airplane was going to, going to eat it. So I know, I know we're done. Um, fast forward a little bit, neat part of the story. We had gone through a safety process, which we'll get to. We went through an accident in process, which we went through. And then at the end of that, and this is, this is months after the incident occurs, uh, the board president for the Accident Investigation Board was our 8th Air Force commander at the time. We finished this official proceeding. It's very official for the AIB. Um, we finished this official proceeding, stops everything, and then he looks at me and he goes, Dude. There's a video. Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, no, sir. No, sir. And, and he goes, do you want to? And I go, no, sir. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> and the, he was good with that for about five minutes. They let me kind of cool off, walk around the building, and then he, he I think they had it all set up on the computer, you know, and he kind of walks me into a room. And he's like, no, seriously, you got to check this out. And he goes, did you know your left wing was on the ground when you ejected? And I said, no, I did not. Wow. Um, so we were that low. So we were, as soon as that left wing departed, it actually was dragging on the ground. Um, so anyway, we get to the point of the, the ejection. This is the, the neat part of the story that everybody wants to hear. Like, right. Like what's an ejection like? Well, well, it took me about five minutes in my mind to, to actually get to the point of pulling the handles. Obviously it was much quicker than that, but I remember looking at both of my hands in front of my face and just being like, I'm going to eject. I wonder what this yeah. is going to be like. What's this going to be like? Um, and I, what was really interesting is we do all this training, right? You, you get trained over and over and over again. And I, as a, as a, air education and training instructor pilot, right? You, you help young students come up with, hey, what are your ejection mens? How are you going to go through this? And what is it going to look like if you have to do it, right? So I've done this a thousand times, but here I am but in the moment. But not like this. Not like this, yeah. right? Now here I am in the moment. I'm staring at my gloved hands, and I'm like, huh, I wonder how hard I have to pull. <laughs> I wonder if it's like a little pull and the chair goes, or if I have to pull really hard. And I mean, I'm thinking of stupid stuff. Like, is there a safety cable that I have to, and there's not, I right. know all this, right? It's crazy to think how many thoughts can go through your mind in that such quickly. a, you know, exactly. Yes, in such exactly. a short period of time. Exactly. So, um, I decide after this five minute conversation, staring at my hands with myself, um, that I am going to pull really hard Yeah. Um, because I want to make sure this is not going to take any chances. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, so I grab the handles, um, and I just yank on these things i mean i i normally at this part of the story do a really funny uh grunting noise and and like 
acted out. Yeah, uh, I don't think that'll I don't think that'll work for radio. But I I give these handles the business, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the process of doing that, right about the time I hear the handles go click, I go, oh no, body position, right? Um, because we're supposed to have a certain, a certain position. body position when right. you eject, right? Your head is supposed to be back against the seat. Mm-hmm. In in the B2, we fly another aircraft, the T-38. In the T-38, you bring your feet back to the seat. In the B2, you're supposed to leave your feet out on the rudder pedals, little things like this, right? Um, and I'm just a ball of pull at this mm-hmm. point, right? So I'm just totally balled up, and I hear the click, and I'm like, oh, body position. And I, I think I tried to get my head back to the seat, um, but this is the fun part, because if you want to know how fast an ejection is for real, I just explained to you how slow those three seconds took me to walk through all of that. Yeah. Um, once I heard that click, it was bang, boom, bang, parachute. And I was in a parachute, not in the airplane anymore. It was that fast. That fast. Um, and the cool parts about that story, um, a brilliant engineer in my mind, um, figured out a way they, they, they couldn't figure out how to get the seats out of the aircraft out of this stealth airplane right so a uh, brilliant engineer came up with the idea of putting explosive debt cord basically uh, yeah if you can imagine like a wily e. coyote cartoon right yeah. where he, he's like carrying the tnt bucket and it's trailing behind him it, it's kind of like that like where it lit, lights on fire and just follows the tnt trail um as soon as i pulled those handles i had my eyes closed i wish if i could go back and change anything i would have my eyes eyes open because i bet it was fought just awesome, awesome to, to watch yeah, yeah. Um, but with my eyes closed I could see that debt cord go around my head like around my skull I could see it go as it cut the roof out of the airplane so that the chair could leave the airplane I go up the rails you could do, you could feel the uh, rocket motor fire under the seats um, I actually had the hair on my arms just where my gloves ended and my my flight suit began it was like singed Burned. off from the from the rocket motor. Um, and then out the aircraft, right over the back end at full grunt with full that TRT, you know, all four motors are just screaming. Um, and then I heard that parachute open, right? Um, and I had done jump training at the academy, so I knew what that sounded like. I said, sweet, I got a parachute. So I opened my eyes at this point. I'm 180 out from where I was. We had been taking off to the north. Uh, when I opened my eyes, I'm looking south at the control tower. Hmm. And I go, oh, I'm really close to the ground. So we're supposed to get our hands up to our risers to be able to release the parachute if we need to uh, in like a water landing or any situation, really. I got my hands about halfway to my risers and I hit the ground. It was that quick. Wow. Yeah, because you weren't you weren't that high Correct. off the ground. You, right. you can only go so high. Right. Yeah. I think I only got about a half a, a swing in the parachute. Wow. Um, so you pulling this, it... Um, ejects the other person as well, right? In this case, it did. Okay. Um, it doesn't always, always. do that. Okay. We have a we actually have a selector inside of the aircraft that allows us to uh, to be in an auto mode, which which if one person pulls, both go. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a manual mode where if one person pulls, the other seat will stay. Um, but in takeoffs, landings, air refuelings, critical phases of flight, if you will, we have that in auto, so that if one does pull, the other one does go. So on this particular day, when I pulled. Ironically enough, the, the right seat always goes first. Um, but I was in the right seat. I pulled. I went first. Um, and then 0.4 seconds later, um, precisely, he, he departed the aircraft, um, which, was, which was wonderful, right? Um, works out great. Um, we both get to tell these stories now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So that was, the, that was the incident itself. Um, and then we rolled into um, a safety process. Uh, I did get a broken back out of the deal. I was say, uh, compression my, fracture when my, you hit the ground. My bad. Well, I swore, I told the doctor in Hawaii, up and down, dude, I hit the ground so hard, um, that's what broke my back, right? 
Um, and then a, a couple weeks into it, being in the hospital, I started doing some research, and I found out that like back to back to like Vietnam, like F four pilots were ejecting and had the exact same compression fracture of the spine same spot from yeah the t11 the yeah. thoracic 11 my t10 and t12 smashed my t11 um into bits which was pretty fascinating to look at on an x-ray mm-hmm. but um very common from the seat going up the rail because it goes up so fast with that rocket motor so um i had to revise my story it was it was actually going the bad body position and going up going the rails up. yeah um but that's where we went into the uh the safety process um, I was off to the hospital. They actually shipped me out of Guam uh, the next day to go to Hickam um, to then go to Tripler Medical Center there in Hawaii. Uh, it's the giant pink building on the hill if you ever go to yeah. Honolulu. Um, and I stayed there for a, a few weeks. My wife was able to come and pick me up, thank goodness, and then came back and uh, we're going through the safety process this whole time and then into the accident process. So you're you're being investigated. The safety investigation is happening. Correct. While you're in the hospital recovering from a broken back correct which is i've had a compression fracture in my back i fell off my roof a a long time ago and broke my back um it is painful (laughs) it was not a lot of fun like the physical pain is is like it's unbelievable and it takes over your whole body yeah uh and and then added to that physical pain surely Mental stress. There's some emotional oh, yeah. and mental fatigue and pain that's happening as you're wondering what's going to happen. Right. What what actually happened? What went wrong? Was it my fault? And am I done for? Uh, so, there, so there's multiple levels of pain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty intense. Um, yeah. It was it was pretty pretty wild. They they put you in a I called it my Ninja Turtle shell. Yeah, I had one I, of those. Had, those like, are rad. Yeah, it's like a front and a back back brace mm-hmm. thing. I felt um, really like buff when you, I wore it. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty legit. You have to have your arms <laughs> out like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You walk <laughs> everywhere with like the invisible lat, lat syndrome, syndrome. and, and <laughs> you're like all swelled up. Yeah. yeah, it was uh, it was wild, and I um, I kind of foolishly went into it um, naive, I guess you might say. Um, I. I think my dad even told me, I talked to him on the phone at some point and, uh, and he was like, man, you, you need to get ready for this. This is going to be wild. Um, Mm -hmm. which was, and I kind of was like, dad, don't worry about it. You know, they just, they just want to know what happened and, and prevent future accidents and things like that. And then about a month later, I was like, well, my dad was right. (laughs) This is getting intense. So, um, and I think what didn't help the process for us was, uh, they had a really tough time getting the data for what had actually occurred inside the aircraft. And uh, again, without delving too deep into the safety process, mm-hmm. lacking concrete evidence of what had happened, it's the world's safest airplane, right? It had never crashed. This had never happened before. And this is the only time that it has happened. This is, this is it. This yeah. Is it. There have been other class A mishaps due to the cost of the airplane. And, and you know, we, we had an engine fire that ended up being a class A, but we didn't, we didn't lose the airplane, right? Right. Um, so yeah, this is it. This is the first time anybody's ever experienced this. The airplane is super safe. It must have been the pilot's fault. One of a kind. You are one of a kind. One, one of a kind. You are one yeah. of a kind. <laughs> so uh, so lacking concrete guidance, um, you know, I think they kind of they kind of just chased every lead they could, and and also kind of came up with some new stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but the my caveat to that, my caveat to that um, is. 
I've tried to put myself in the in the board's shoes, and I cannot imagine the amount of pressure that they were under to produce a result, right? Like, tell sure. us what happened. Um, and they couldn't right away um, because we needed to get the data out of the airplane and figure out, like, what had happened, what caused it to do what it did. And that took, that took quite a while. Um, but the poor board president and all the people on the board, they were – they were like daily um, getting phone calls from everyone you can imagine in the Air Force, right? Mm-hmm. From, from the, you know, the, the commander of Air Combat Command, who we, we were owned under at that time. Global sure. Strike wasn't a thing. Right. Um, and everybody. So, and it was, you know, I'm sure it was like, what happened? What happened? What do you mean you don't know yet? What do you mean you don't know yet? So, um, so it, got, it got pretty uncomfortable for a while um, as far as the, uh, the investigation went. Were you scared? Um, no, because I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. Um, the, the, the flicker of the light that I talked to you guys about during the process, we rolled down the runway, Yeah. the, the flicker of the master caution for the FCS that I remember being like, I distinctly remember being in the ambulance riding to the hospital in Guam, like right after the incident. Right. There's some funny stories about that, that I'll, I'll, I'll say for another time, but, um, being on the ground as an airplane is exploding next to you is pretty fascinating. <laughs> but, um, but I remember riding in the ambulance and like looking up at all my my you know counterparts with me in the ambulance that were obviously sitting in the seat next to me as I'm laying on the gurney, and everybody's face was just blank, um, and we were all kind of taking it in, um, and I just remember thinking that light flickered. I don't I don't know what it was trying to tell us, but that that's going to be bad, right? And uh, and that ended up being a point of contention for quite some time. Like, you know, hey, you know, you had a light flicker. You shouldn't you have done something. No, no, I shouldn't have. Um, it, you know, the airplane was working the way that it was supposed to. We, there was no way we were supposed to know what was going to happen when we went weight off wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that got uncomfortable. And I did have, I guess, the, the crux of that part of the story is I did have a moment during the safety process where I, I confided in my wife, and I told my wife, I said, hey, I, I don't think this is going real well. <laughs> I said, yeah. I, I, said I, uh, I think there might be an op, you know, a chance that when this is all done, I'm, I might not fly airplanes again. Um, and there's a small chance that I might not be in the Air Force. Um, and then the way things got, at one point, I, I, I had told her, I, I said, I, I might even go to jail for a while, but I'm not quite sure why. Um, wow. So it was pretty dark. That had to be scary. It and, was and it was terrifying. Yeah. When, you, when you go from a safety board into an accident board, the accident board is where they, the safety board in theory is where they're supposed to find out like, hey, what happened? How do we prevent accidents in the future? The accident board is where they like establish blame if there is blame to be had, right? Mm-hmm. So, and as we went into the accident investigation board, um, I had to get a lawyer. They were like, you got a lawyer up, which is not terribly uncommon right. it's just i thought i was going to have it to adds a little bit more nerve wracking all of that right feelings. and and you're still recovering from a broken back yes yeah so it was it was a lot there was a lot going on how long were you in the time. hospital for uh i only ended up being in the hospital for a few weeks i don't remember exactly it was two to three weeks um but i mean to to paint the picture for the safety board and how intense that was they kind of left me alone while i was while i was going through the initial phases of that but when they released me, like the minute they released me from the hospital, I went downstairs in Triple M Medical Center and had they a VTC there. with the safety board, right? And it was it was like three hours of tell us the story, tell us the story again. Why don't you tell us the story one more time? Uh, um, can and you imagine? You're just, I mean, I would be the whole time um, 
feeling like I'm being asked these questions because they're trying to find holes in my story or they're trying to see if I like Correct. change it like the whole time, <clears throat> even knowing that I didn't do anything wrong, I would have an unbelievable amount of sort of nerves and, and even maybe a little bit of anger at some point. I think I would have been like, I already told you once <laughs> I told you twice <laughs> And I know the only reason you're asking me a third time is to trip me up or catch me you, in something. You don't believe me, do you? Yeah, right. Um, there was some of that, well, but so I, yeah. I, I was actually, I, to my point about the naivety, though, I, I truly went into it. I remember I was like, man, I'm going to go into this clean. Like, I, you know, the, the point of the safety board is to prevent accidents, and I'm going to tell them exactly what's in my head. I don't want to study. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to tell them what's happened. Because if, if I screwed something up, you know, I want to prevent accidents, and I want to know. Um, and, uh, and I want to be, you know, honest about the information that I had at the time, et cetera, et cetera. And then after going through the process, I was like, oh, that, was, that was stupid. <laughs> uh, I should have really prepared myself for that. Um, cause it, there is uh, and I share this with a lot of our aviators today when I tell them the story, right? You, you, uh, you can't underestimate how uncomfortable the questioning, even if you did nothing wrong, you can't underestimate how uncomfortable the questioning is going to get when an airplane is crashed, right? Like right. they're going to ask you everything. Like, what did you do yesterday? What'd you do the day before yesterday? What's your pattern of life? Right. Why did this happen? You know, it, it gets pretty uncomfortable just, just on a normal day when nothing is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what we ended up experiencing because at the end of the day, nobody did anything wrong. We did, we, the, the pilot and I have kind of joked um, if somebody had come up to us beforehand and been like, Hey, this airplane's going to crash. Don't screw something up. We probably would have screwed something up, right? right? Like just, just human beings. We would have messed up some step in the checklist. When we went back and looked at it all, we didn't do anything wrong. Like not even a, not even a hiccup. Everything went just perfectly as fragged. Um, so at the end of the day, everything was fine, but it made for a, a really uncomfortable period of time for, for a solid four months plus. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you can see I'm, I'm sitting here today as the ops group commander for the 509th Palm Wing. So right. um, everything, everything went everything okay. Turned out okay. We got back in the airplane. Uh, the first flight back in the jet was, was fascinating. I, I was basically, uh, thank goodness we can't hear each other when we take off. I was basically like hyperventilating. Were you I nervous? Oh, yeah. I was terrified. Scared out of your mind. And as soon as the plane rotated and I was like gear clear and I put the gear up, as soon as the gear came up, everything was fine. I went right back into, I know how to do this, and autopilot mm -hmm. on, the whole deal, and, and, and it has been bueno ever since. Now, obviously, as a pilot, you would fly it. Your fear probably came from, initial fear came from, like, the flying. But leaving trip, uh, leaving Hawaii to come back um, to home station, you flew, I'm assuming. Did you have mm -hmm. any fear just in, like, commercial flight or anything at all? No, I didn't. I, now, keep in mind, I was on some pretty good uh, Yeah, <laughs> I've had those medications. Uh, <laughs> actually, I couldn't even imagine being on a flight didn't after even, it with a broken back. I didn't even think about it. Um, those it, it really was. I did spend a lot of time uh, hanging out with the flight attendant in the little, like, galley area <laughs> because it was so... It was not enjoyable to sit in an airline mm -mm. seat. I couldn't even imagine. Um, yeah. So I... I stood up quite a bit and hung out with her and she she's like what happened to you were you in a motorcycle accident and i was like you still have your brace on yeah oh yeah i was like no plane crash yeah. and she's like oh oh okay yeah, i'm glad you're glad yeah. you're with us on the plane <laughs> it was good um so pretty interesting but yeah. so that had to be that had to be sort of a that four months uh that was a 
I don't know if dark, you you said dark. Uh, it got pretty dark. Um, or it, uh, I think before when we've talked, you mentioned sort of feeling like you're on an island. Yeah. What yep. What were the things? Like, what did you do aside from the awesome meds, right? Um, what What sorts of things did you do either either in that process or or coming out of that process as you're getting back into normal ops? What did you do to sort of reset um, your sort of personal whole airman posture? That's a great question. I I don't even really know. Um, I yeah. just I was surrounded by great people. Um, wow. Okay. Which I think is is absolutely important. My my wife Social was wellness. amazing. Yeah. My my wife was actually. Uh, I mean, from the very beginning, she was just a complete rock star. Um, from the from the notification to hey, there's been an accident. Mm-hmm. everything's okay um, with me, with Justin, right? Um, through coming to pick me up, through just putting up with all the shenanigans through the safety process that I, you know, couldn't really tell her about. Um, she was, she was You couldn't awesome. talk to your wife even about what was happening. Correct. You yeah. Were, you were on an island. Yes. The and only people you could talk to were the people that were investigating, investigating you. You got it. You got it. Which is really That's lonely. That is. is lonely. And and, and so for, for better or for worse, the, the the leadership team that supported us at that time and they were they were they were wonderful. Um I, I don't think I could have asked anything more from them, but there is this weird any kind of an administrative thing like that from from what I you can imagine administrative punishment being for, for maybe like the Air Force's youngest airman up to like us being in this this safety process, right? Um there's this weird distancing that occurs because you know nobody wants to to mess up the process or, or get in your way and and they're they're helping you out by mm-hmm. leaving you alone but man you feel alone right yeah um, and that's sort of normal I guess if that makes sense but um, it does at the end of the day uh, I knew people had my back um, I had fo- I had folks that had to drive me around because I couldn't drive a car so I had people taking me to and from the the meetings, the the VTCs and things like that. So I just had good people around me, and every now and again I would kind of grab one of them and be like, "Dude, I don't, I don't think it's going well." Uh, and they'd be like, "Oh, dude, don't worry about it. It's just the stress." And I, okay. Uh, and you believed him. You, so, you believed him. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. No. You're like, dude, you just rolled with it. But I just, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Um, I will tell you, uh, the I ended up not needing surgery for my back, um, and and part of what gets me right is like literally the day I came out of my back brace, I had a doc up in Kansas city and, and he goes, you're good to go. And I was like, what do you mean? Good to go. And he's like, you're good to go. I was like, so I can go home and run if I want to. And he's like, you can do whatever you want. So I came home and I, I like literally went and ran a, a four mile run. Right. So right, away. right out of the right back away. brace, <laughs> I was just like, let's, let's do this. Let's test okay. it out. Um, and it was fine. And I've been running ever since. So running is kind of my, I think my outlet to clear yeah. my head and, and that's my my space. What do you do when you run? Do you uh, do you have a conversation with yourself? I used to run a lot. I, I don't now because I'm a little older and I got some. Jo- I still run, obviously, but I don't run. I used to run marathons, and I would have, um, I would have conversations. Like I would, if I was mad, I would talk through it. Sometimes I would talk out loud. Like, what do you do when you're running to to sort of reset? Mostly. Um I think some of that happens, um, yeah. kind of just internally. I, I'm, I'm, I, uh, every day I would argue, regardless of the situation, I will running or not, I will play through the entire day's events, right? Like it, as I lay down at night to go to sleep, I, I go through everything, right? Yeah. So I think some of that happens, but 
the less interesting answer is I just rock my face off, right? Like I put my earbuds in music and just jam. And I think that helps me kind of tune everything out. And, uh, you know, I've got pretty good playlists that I listen to and I'll just, I'll throw those in and just go. And, uh, I think that gives me a moment of peace and, Mm -hmm. and quiet and, and just allows me to kind of reset. So that once I got that back, um, it has helped immensely. I'd love to tell you that I like went on some crazy, I did, I did go ahead and do almost a year to the day. I did like a marathon. It was horrible because I undertrained, but I, I was yeah, committed yeah. to doing it. Um, I wish <laughs> I could tell you I was like this crazy marathon runner now. I'm not. I just, yeah. I just like to run. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I think a half marathon is probably the yeah. ultimate goal. And then 5Ks are kind of like right up my alley. But that, I think, is one of my biggest outlets. So that's really interesting that that you mention uh so obviously the social pillar people around you that you trust physical fitness but you mentioned that when you run uh you replay the day's events uh right you sort of yeah. think through or or you that's just me in an, like yeah no at I, some point in time child. during yeah. the day right yep and i don't know I've, I've become i think in my in my older age mm-hmm. i have become more aware that i do that and maybe i didn't do that as mindful a kid. you've become more mindful i think so and aware it's it's amazing so we had a we had a conversation with uh chief wright um who talks about doing something very similar Every day mm-hmm. uh, in the morning, sort of replaying the last 24 hours and getting ready for the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. This is something that I do um, every day. I, I, it's, it's actually, it's an ancient spiritual practice. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I know, right? You I didn't know that. Didn't like, even know. You are a guru. Yeah. Uh, it's an ancient spiritual practice uh, um, called like sort, sort of an examined prayer or an examined meditation where, where you replay the last 24 hours and you anticipate the next 24 hours and you just sort of gear yourself up for uh, what is going to happen and and you and you recognize the good things and maybe the not so good things that have happened and that processing that sort of mindful processing allows you to continue moving forward uh, in 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 healthy, adaptive, meaningful ways, it it it's incredible. It works for me. Did I'm, you I'm know? No, it's an actual you, thing. You, it's a thing. All right, it's a thing. Uh, you 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 practice uh, mindfulness, and what's so cool about that? And Kim, you can jump on this if you want, but um, the way that it works itself into your daily routine in a very sort of normal way, to where you don't even really realize that you're doing it Mm -hmm. but you are and if you don't do it you notice Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely mindfulness is huge and being able to like just sit there kind of replay everything um it clears it It just gets you prepared you know Mm -hmm. for whatever is to come What's that 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 movie uh, for the love of the game with Kevin Costner? Yeah, uh, where yeah. he's pitching and he and he says, "Clear the mechanism." Yes, and that's it shuts everything yeah, and down. it shuts everything right. down, <laughs> and all the like bad memories of his ex girlfriends and wives it all goes away, right? Yep. And he's just in the zone. Yep. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that kinda when like you're that. when you're running and and sort of replaying, you're clearing the mechanism. Yes. So oh, I want to I want to ask you something. Um, I talked to somebody actually yesterday, mm-hmm. and he told me about his story. But he said that you're either a victim to the situation or you're a student, and it really resonated with me. I, I f- like felt that to my soul. I'm just kind of curious. What are some of the things that you would say, like in the whole process that you went through? What is one of your bigger takeaways um, that you would say? I wasn't a victim, or there was you know even to the processes, but I was a student. I got to learn something. Oh, that's, I mean, that's absolutely applicable. Um, I, uh, 
I guess I'm very fortunate. I don't ever really think mm-hmm. of myself as a victim. Um, right. And I definitely didn't in that scenario. Um, and there was lots of learning opportunities. So it was easy to be a student, right? What's going to happen to me next? What's the next step? How does this process work? How should it work? What am I seeing? Why is it different? Mm-hmm. Um, and now on the backside, um, I actually, for better or for worse, think I am more prepared for that type of scenario. I don't ever want to see that play out. I don't ever want to wish this on anybody else to have to go through in any airframe, you know, loss of life, loss of aircraft, any of that stuff. But I think it has made me uh, more aware of what 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 the actual, like, from the Air Force safety process through mm-hmm. just life processes um, it has made me a lot smarter, wiser, if you will, um, just by default. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want the knowledge or <laughs> go seek the knowledge, but I've got it now. And uh, if I'm ever asked to use it, I hope that I'm more prepared. So absolutely, I, I, I buy into the student mentality, and I would try to treat everything like that if I could. I think that comes in great play with you being in your position that you are right now as the ops group commander. So. Yeah, that's great. So y- you mentioned just sort of sort of as we're wrapping up here. You mentioned uh, feeling like you were on an island. Uh, you mentioned that 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 kind of distance where there's a process happening, and and the people that are running the process are separating themselves from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 we know that that happens in all not just not just when there's an air class A mishap aircraft you know blowing up. It happens all the time. Um, and, and I'm curious. Um, what would you say to somebody who's going th- through something or, or maybe feel some of that distance and is unsure about whether or not they can trust a process, whether it's a, whether it's a safety investigation process or whether it's a, whether it's a, uh, and I got to go to ADAP and I don't know how this process is going to work. Right. Right. It's, 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 there's a lot of similarities um, where there's, there's a process that's a, that's happening that everybody says is for your good and for the benefit of the air force. And yet there's distance between you and the process. What, what would you say to somebody uh, who maybe is, is a little bit scared of that and sitting in that? I would say something very unscientific, like hang in there. Right. Um, And I, I have been for better or for worse also very fortunate to have faced uh, not extreme adversity, but enough adversity in my life to be like, you know what, if I just get up tomorrow and put my boots on, we're going to get through this eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a wiser individual than me um, told me ages ago on a completely separate topic um, where I had, I was, I was facing some adversity, um, and they gave me the "this too shall pass," right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember thinking at the time, like, "Thanks, that's that's very helpful. <laughs> I appreciate it." <laughs> right. um, but there is a lot of truth to that, right? So for me, hang in there. Um, for, for the smart person you know this too shall pass so uh keep putting your boots on keep, keep rolling That's awesome. and uh and you're gonna you're gonna you just keep, keep positive mental attitude you're gonna have a great day right yeah uh get dressed all the way down to your shoes there you go and make your bed there you go. Every yeah. morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Who's that? The, that's the, Admiral the Navy McRaven. Yeah. 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 McRaven. Yeah. That, that's come up a few times, make right? Um get dressed down to your shoes and make your bed. And in doing that you decide that you will be unstoppable. There you go. Right? In doing that, you decide that whatever else is going on, processes, procedures, other people, you are making a decision. When you get dressed down to your shoes and you make your bed, the things that I'm in control of, I will not be stopped. 
I will be unstoppable because I'm getting my shoes on. I'm ready to get my feet dirty and I'm making my bed. And at the end of the day, I'm coming home to a, to a, a maid. No matter bed. what, you definitely got that one successful thing. Your bed yeah. is made. Your bed, your, <laughs> your right. No matter what yeah. goes on, your yeah. bed is made. Yeah. And you're in control of that. Uh, Vapor, thank you so much for coming and uh, and sharing your story with us. Uh, I know it takes uh, it takes time out of your schedule and your day, um, but we appreciate it. We are so glad that you have come. And I just want to give a shout out to the OG, uh, Unstoppable. It is outstanding. Thanks for having me. We will never stop, never stop, no. We will never stop, unstoppable.